Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace gather. Welcome. Uh, Just so you know, even if this is your first uh, time tuning in with us on this Genesis series, or you have been with us throughout the whole series, right? We have made it. We have made it. Made it to the end of Genesis, all 50 chapters. And I guess the only question to ask is, have you enjoyed it? Uh, I know that I have. I know that it's been encouraging. I know that I've learned more uh, about the character of God, about the story as a whole. Uh, And it's been a sweet time to see uh, community engage with uh, this beautiful Old Testament book. So I would say, what, give yourself a round of applause, encourage yourself uh, that you have made it. And uh, maybe this kind of spurs on the journey. Maybe we're just going to read all of uh, the Old Testament, huh? Yeah, you're just going to start. Well done. If that is you. And if not, if you're like, I'm done, well done. That is you as well. Uh, you are encouraged. Um, and I guess to kind of catch up uh, with maybe what is happening. And so uh what I'm going to talk about is the story of Joseph and not just uh, one story particular between all the chapters, uh, but spe- specifically kind of the whole story of Joseph. Uh, and those chapters are 37 through 50, and it is a lot of uh, reading. Uh, and so I'm going to spare you uh, kind of all the in-between, and I'm just going to kind of give you a quick summary. And so kind of Joseph's story starts off with his father, Jacob. And uh, Joseph is the youngest of all his brothers. And his father loves him the most and lets everybody know it, that he is favored. Uh, because in the, the scriptures say that it was because Joseph, or Jacob had Joseph in his old age. And so then uh, Jacob gives Joseph kind of this special clothing, kind of this almost cloak uh, type clothing. And uh, his brothers immediately become jealous. As you can imagine, right, uh, this kid just showed up in the world. And uh, probably the older uh, brothers uh, or the oldest children, uh, per se, have experienced all the things uh, at their at their kind of oldest position, right? And so this young man comes in and is stealing all the intention, gets special clothing, uh, and his father lets them know that he loves Joseph the most. And so you can imagine, uh, maybe you're even triggered at this point. If you are the oldest child, you're like, yo, this is crazy. This is uh, exposing wounds in me. That is totally fine. Totally okay. And so then uh, to kind of make matters worse, right? Uh, as, as this is going on, Joseph then has a dream. And I'm projecting here, uh, as the youngest child in my family, I would imagine as Joseph had this dream and he walks kind of out of his tent and he's kind of chest up, uh, head high, and just, you know, enjoying the life of the beautiful, beloved youngest child. In this dream that he shares with his brothers, he says this, he says, hey, listen, one day you'll be bowing down to me. And I will rule over the land. And uh, not only will my brothers bow down to me, but my parents will as well. And I can only imagine, as we talked about earlier, if the trigger is coming up again for you, 
that as his brothers uh, would feel as the oldest brothers and probably, uh, again, not as favored in the sight of their father, that they're just at this point, we've had it. This young kid is just walking around, enjoying himself, and we're doing all the hard work. And so, unfortunately, uh, as we're cracking a joke of this, Joseph's brothers uh, decide to plot. How can we get rid of Joseph? So what happens is they grab Joseph, kidnap him, take him to the middle of the desert, and sell him into slavery. Fast forward, uh, Joseph finds himself in Egypt as a slave. His master was Potiphar. And as we continue to go, Joseph eventually gains kind of a respect or status, but then is thrown in jail uh, because he refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife. Then years go by. And no one can interpret these dreams. And Jacob is our Joseph is in jail. No one can interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and butler, but Joseph can. And as we uh, kind of go back to uh, the beginning of Joseph's story, when he has this dream, this is a gift of Joseph's that he's able to interpret these dreams. And then Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And then he gains back his status. And Pharaoh's dream was about this kind of almost famine that was going to happen within the land of Egypt. And in kind of this dream, Joseph's able to explain. And then Pharaoh puts him in charge of kind of the rations, uh, in charge of the whole operation to be able to uh, make sure that they're able to be taken care of for the years of the famine. And then. As Joseph is in this role, as he gains back his status, as he interprets this dream, his family has to travel to Egypt because of the famine. They need help. And guess who's there to greet them? It is Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph because Joseph now kind of has this, it says he he now has a beard. He now looks like a grown man, right, Uh, from a child when they last saw him. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him at all. Then a series of tests ensue as Joseph wants to ensure that his brothers are remorseful. Um, Some might say Joseph was petty. I'd call him justified. Uh, Joseph was actually fairly salty when he saw him. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy when he saw him. He was actually shocked when he saw saw them. But after these tests, Joseph, I guess, in his heart verifies that they are remorseful and reveals himself to them and forgives them, welcomes his family in. And then the famous verse that some of us might know is close to the end of Genesis. Some of us may, may have heard this verse a lot. Genesis 50, verse 20. It says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives.
in this storyline of scripture, you know, this makes sense very much. Um, it makes sense of kind of the narrative arc of the Old Testament, how we see this order, uh, kind of the, the setting of a story, and then the kind of the chaos that happens or ensues when humans make poor decisions. And then we see kind of this renewal and restoration, this kind of narrative arc that we talked about during this Genesis series. Unfortunately, though, uh, within that application of this verse, this verse has been used to silence doubt about hardships and suffering that comes your way. Maybe this verse has been used uh, to silence those who had questions about the church, uh, the church's relationship to oppression, and how some way slavery has made its way in God's plan uh, to do exactly what it's done and uh, how people have ended up where they've ended up because uh, God is present with them and how slaves are no longer slaves, so it's okay. Women now have more status in the world, so it's okay, the oppression and the suffering that took place. That what people intended to harm, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. When asking questions kind of about suffering, I think we have to be careful to think that what happened to Joseph had any good in it for Joseph. Or maybe with that question or with this verse, people have made it seem like God intended and orchestrated this whole story. And I would say we have to be careful with that. That God is not the cause of our suffering. But as we see within the story that human decisions sometimes can be the cause of our suffering. But that God is present among us and with us through our suffering. And maybe you've heard kind of these similar platitudes at the end of Joseph's story that the suffering of Joseph was for his good. For the good of the many and the most common is that it was God's will for Joseph to work through this. That somehow all that Joseph went through was for a purpose. And I want to be very clear that as you are adults and you can have your own opinions, but I would make the case that suffering illuminates divine presence. The presence of the divine was with Joseph amidst the great times. And the bad times. But never was the one who caused it or took him through it. Suffering happens. And it wasn't for Joseph to pass a cosmic test. Maybe for you, let's do a poll, right? I love I love participation. I hope you do too. You can probably raise a hand or it's okay. You can still engage, right? Maybe how many of you have heard the phrase redemptive suffering? Or maybe have any of you ever experienced loss or have been sick or any other form of suffering and have been told this is God's plan and it's for your good? 
See, redemptive suffering can be defined as suffering that is for a purpose, suffering that you go through that is necessary for you to become more like Christ. And I would stand closer to Reverend Mark Sandlin. And he says this, that the idea of redemptive suffering is ghastly theology. Seldom suffering is redemptive. If it were, surely humanity would be redeemed by now. Maybe another example is this. Now, when I was uh, kind of researching this idea of redemptive suffering and looking at Joseph's story that uh, maybe for some odd reason, this was uh, kind of for Joseph's good. And I remember looking at this Instagram post and it says this, when responding to suffering. It says how long, it, it has three questions. The first two are crossed out. I'm gonna read the first two that are crossed out. It says, how long is this going to last? And why is this happening? Those are the first two questions in response to suffering that are crossed out. But then it says, this is how you really should think about it. God, what are you forming in me in this season? First two questions, in my opinion, allow us to be honest, authentic, and are very valid questions. And the last question sounds holy, but maybe for me as a pastor, when a friend reaches out to me and tells me they have been diagnosed with cancer, I will not tell them the last question is the way they should respond. I will tell them the first two are the way you should respond that it's okay for you to ask those questions and you have freedom to ask those questions and God can handle those questions. Or maybe when a friend or family member is sentenced to prison or life in prison, I would not say they should ask the question how God is forming them in this season and never ask the first two questions. See, tragedy is tragedy. And just know that at the end of the day, God is not asking you to forego the first two questions. You see, uh, there's an author by the name of Kate Bowler who has a response to this idea of truly understanding grief. The first two questions she would say are an example of grief. Honest, authentic, brought low grief. And she says that is the only way to healing or restoration or life. She has this quote about what grief is. She says, I used to think that grief was about looking backward. You know, old men saddled with regrets or young ones pondering should-haves. I see now that it is about eyes squinting through tears into an unbearable future. 
The world cannot be remade by the sheer force of love. A brutal world demands capitulation to what seems impossible. Separation, brokenness. An end without an ending. I know that made you sad. That maybe was not something you uh, look forward to listening to. But if we're honest and we look at the story of Joseph, I know he probably was not asking God, how are you forming me in this season as he was sold into slavery by his own family? That when he found himself in jail, for doing something he believed was right. I guarantee he wasn't asking God, how are you forming me in this season? When he sees his family for the first time, guaranteed and asks that moment, God, how are you forming me in this season? I think sometimes we tend to uh, take the human qualities out of characters of the scriptures. When if we're honest, when tragedy strikes, we go to the first two questions. How long is this going to last? And why is this happening? And to encourage you, I believe that God can handle those two questions. You see, the last question has a way of trying to convince us that somehow every bad thing has to be somehow for our good. Joseph suffered at the hands of his brothers, his enslavers, his masters, his master's wife, those who forgot about him in prison, just because he made it out of life is by God's grace. For when others forgot about Joseph, the divine was very much present and never forgot. See, suffering is not caused by God, but God is very much present in the midst of our journeys, of our sufferings, of our tragedies. And when we talk about grief, as Kate Bowler told us so very eloquently, Joseph's life of suffering grieved him very much. And I think these are the ways that we suffer as people, that it is a human thing. Everyone suffers because of the choices that we make, not, uh, not our own choices, but because our world is maybe not in the position and place that it should be, that we all journey in suffering somehow, some way. And grief is the key to learning from it and being transformed from it. There was a point where Joseph, when he saw his brothers again for the first time, as they traveled to Egypt, that he overhears his brothers talking and, and they talked about the plot they covered up years ago and they were speaking in a different language and they didn't think Joseph would understand, but he did. And so he turns away and he weeps. Then Joseph sees Benjamin, the youngest, and his compassion grew for his brother. And he went to his chambers and he wept. 
than Joseph as he prepares to reveal himself to his brothers. Joseph tells everyone to leave the room, and he weeps so loud that everyone hears him, Pharaoh, and his counsel. During the reunion with his family, as he reveals himself, Joseph weeps, and so on, and so on. Joseph is, is experiencing these triggers from trauma. And triggers are defined as a stimulus such as smell, sound, and sight that triggers feelings of trauma. From what we see, Joseph is experiencing these triggers because suffering wounds us. Suffering does something to us, and we wish that it did not exist. And I would say God's plan for goodness and blessing and flourishing was that it would not exist. See, redemptive suffering is the road that leads to denial. Grief is the pathway, a pathway to honesty and growth and transformation amongst suffering. And I would say is the only way to journey through suffering. The hope in and of suffering is not that this is God testing you, that you need to pass this test or that this is God's way of growing you, but only that it's the divine presence of God that is with you, that loves you and that sees you. Just because some good comes out of a bad situation does not mean that it's God's will. Maybe for you, when you read a passage like this about suffering, your go-to response is maybe you think suffering or your suffering specifically is insignificant. Maybe you compare your sufferings with others and different types of suffering. Maybe you overthink what suffering is, period. Or maybe you think that you have somehow, some way caused your suffering. Or maybe you're not convinced that God is not the causer of suffering. And I would uh, encourage you very much to understand that God is not the causer of your suffering, but very much is present amidst it. That the faithfulness of God and his presence is always with you and never desiring suffering would be so normalized in our world. Maybe for you, when suffering transpires in your life, you look for a reason. Kate Bowler again says something good, something great. In her book, Everything Happens for a Reason. She has in quotations, everything happens for a reason. The only thing worse than saying this is pretending that you know the reason. I've had hundreds of people tell me the reasons for my cancer are because of my sin, because of my unfaithfulness, because God is fair, because God is unfair, because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. I mean, no one is short of reasons. So if people tell you this, make sure you are there 
when they go through the cruelest moments of their lives and start offering your own. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. In conclusion, there's a story of a group called the Flagellants. And this was during the time of 1349, during the Black Death. And this group uh, would walk around, and this might sound a little wild to you, this group would walk around Europe, and they they were kind of religious zealots who demonstrated their religious fervor uh, and kind of sought atonement of their sins by vigorously whipping themselves, specifically in public. And this approach was kind of uh, most prominent during times of crisis. So famines, war times, the plague. This community would also be on hills wearing white robes, carrying crosses uh, during these great times of suffering. And the point of all this was that they thought if they whipped themselves hard enough, long enough, that God would notice that this trial or season of suffering would stop and God would be appeased. They also assumed that their suffering was being caused by some sin that was present. And their hope that this would be a holy cleansing. This, of course, is an extreme case. But a lot of us find that our thoughts on suffering are so much similar. That if we can crack the cosmic code, then we would no longer suffer. Or that uh, suffering is happening because God is not pleased with us. Or that God is enacting suffering as a part of the plan. That this suffering is what we must go through to get where we want to go. To encourage you as we close. Suffering is not God's way of shaping us, testing us, or making us holy. Suffering can be transformational, but only through the pathway of grief and honesty. And suffering does have a way of bringing to the surface the most honest and authentic parts of us to reveal that things aren't the way they should be but the presence of God is with us. Know that it's okay to grieve, gather family. And I'll say this again. Redemptive suffering is the road that leads to denial, that grief is the pathway to honesty and growth. And the hope in and of suffering is not that this is God testing you and you need to pass this test, or that suffering is God's way of growing you, but only that it's the divine presence of God that is with you, that loves you, and that sees you. So gather, this is my prayer for you today, that we would find the courage as we journey through our suffering to be honest, that we would trust in the divine character of God that desires goodness and flourishing, and that we would trust that amidst every day Good or bad, the divine is with you, loves you, and sees you. I love you, gather. Peace. Thanks for listening. 
If you are interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.